Hello everyone. Before we start, just a little word from me, Dan, to give you a heads up that there's going to be some swearing in this episode. Normally if we have the old curse word in an episode, I'd just edit around it. But these instances were so impassioned and meaningful that I thought it would be a shame to have to do that, because this is one of our more meaningful episodes. Okay, so please consider yourself warned. Here's the show. Hello everyone, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome, and if you're a returning listener, welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us. This show talks about horror, horror in film, horror in TV or other media, other items which we think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about just because that's who we are. This week we're beginning a two-part discussion on witchcraft and paganism in real life and film, with references to a number of specific horror films. We have a number of guests who vary week to week, but this week you've got us. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but you can call me Dan in Greater Manchester. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by... Stella Gaynor in Manchester. And the person who has planned and conceived this two-part discussion herself... Uh, Kirsty Warrow in Shropshire. Thank you, Kirsty. Brilliant. Hello, folks. Everybody all right? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Can I just say, Dan, you 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 con- you conceived this. This is a a thing that got you know kind of <laughs> mentioned early on in this podcast history, um, which yeah, has become slightly bigger. Um, yeah, so I, I, I've planned it, but but you conceived it. I think. <laughs> well, I, I would I will say that it arose from discussions between us. I think yes. it, it arose following the episode we did about Suspiria. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I I think it arose naturally. But yes, but but you're the expert here, and you've done the planning. So okay. thank you very much for that. Before we go on to that main topic, um, have we got items of news we'd like to discuss? Yeah, um, um, I would like to flag up that um, Fright Fest. Uh, which is um, no, normally has three main events throughout the year. Um, they've announced that their August bank holiday event is going to be fully online. Um, so they're saying that the, it's now being called the Fright Fest Digital Edition, um, and there'll be 25 films available from Friday the 28th to Monday the 31st. And there'll also be free things that you can have a look at online as well. Um, and I was looking at it myself because I was trying to buy tickets for myself and my friends. And the tickets go online, available from the 1st of August. And it will be um, locked for UK, view of, UK viewers only. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, Fright Fest have officially said they are going online. But it should be good. Previous Fright Fests have been wonderful. Um, it's connected with Arrow Video and the Horror Channel. So if you want to sit around on the August Bank Holiday Weekend and watch some excellent horror, horror films, then I definitely recommend this year's Fright Fest. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't normally get the chance to go to Fright Fest because mm. it's in London. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but I might have the chance yeah. this year. That's great. Have you been before, Stella? Uh, I've been once a few years ago. A few years ago? Three years ago, I think, when um, I had some money because I was still being funded for my PhD. <laughs> so I treated myself right. to uh, a day at Fright Fest. Um, but so, yeah, the, that's the thing. The chance to be able to watch all the films from the comfort of my sofa and still in my pyjamas, I will take that opportunity for sure. I mean, that's one of the great things, isn't it, about a lot of these film festivals going online is just yeah. accessibility to those of us who can't often get to, you know, big metropolitan centres. Yeah. At, you know, so whilst it's it's really sad that these things yeah. can't happen in a physical way that they normally would, it's you know the kind of the silver lining is that accessibility. Yeah, I'd probably end up seeing more horror films at the horror film festivals this year than I normally would. So, yeah, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I'll put a link on the show notes for this to uh, Fright Fest and where you can book tickets. That's great. Um, I have a little bit of news, although it's not news really, but I kind of wanted to say it because it follows up um, on a recommendation that came out uh, from Stella a few weeks ago, uh, which was what we do in the shadows. Yay! Um, I'd never (laughs) seen it before, and over the last week I've absolutely mainlined (laughs) almost the entire series and the film. And the original 2005 short film. This is lovely. (laughs) And you love it? Um, No, I think it's rubbish. (laughs) Uh, I'm absolutely delighted and addicted to it. And I'm a little bit frightened that I've only got two episodes left. Um, It's it's so good. And I'm so glad uh, that I did ask the question when, um, Stella, your recommendation came up. And I said, you know, do I need to have seen the film? And you technically don't, but Kirsty, you did say, no, watch the film and then watch the series. (laughs) So I watched the film on Amazon Prime. um, And although there isn't a direct narrative connection to the series, um, certain things that come up later in the show are so much more satisfying if you have seen the film. And I just, I mean, mean, look, it's really, really funny. Mm -hmm. Um, I love all of those actors in both the film and the TV show. It's different casts. Um, and I think the reason that I've taken quite a long time to get round to it is because even when the original film came out, um, the uh, you know the premise of the show seemed uh, a little bit second hand. You know, three vampires sharing a flat. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of Being Human, yeah. which yeah, is a yeah. show that we've never mentioned, which is a vampire, a ghost, and a werewolf, werewolf yeah. share a flat in Bristol. And I used to quite like that show, but. Um, what we do in the shadows is much sillier, and it has a very different kind of charm. And I basically, I just very quickly fell in love with it. And there's something remarkable about the series that, in addition to the premise being, you know, really light and easy to get into, um, and the main characters being stunning, um, and I, I love the fact that in the both the film and the TV series, that are about three vampires living in a flat or a house together. But in the TV show, there's a fourth <laughs> vampire yeah. who is the energy vampire, Colin Robinson, <laughs> Colin Robinson. who is possibly... <sighs> so good. I think he might be my favourite character <laughs> yeah. ever. Well, a friend, um, a friend of mine's mo- just got a puppy and he's called it Colin Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. That's fantastic. <laughs> he's basically... a. Um, 
they've they've created this idea of the energy vampire who appears to be a human being and can walk in the daylight and and have a normal job and things but just drains the energy from other people by boring them to death yeah. or making them feel awkward in some way I love the idea that he's the you know a kind of internet troll as well yeah yeah <laughs> it's just perfect he's got all yeah, the laptops that up that. on his yeah. bed he's got like three four on the go at the same time that's oh, so good so, yeah so good I, I think my favourite thing is occasionally when they cut to him and he's quietly draining someone without <laughs> anyone else having yeah. noticed and there's just this look of delight on his face <laughs> it's just extraordinary and I love uh, Basically, the, you know, every couple of episodes, there's a great new spin they do on the on the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like um, the fact that they can all turn into bats. So therefore, there becomes an episode where one of them gets captured by um, animal services and put in a cage <laughs> at, at the animal welfare home and things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, and and the actors who turn up uh, without you know, giving away too many surprises because the surprise is part of the delight. But yeah. uh, Mark Hamill, Brilliant. you know, turns up as a hooded vampire mm-hmm. and, and and he turns up at a point in the series where you've kind of almost got used to being surprised by a wonderful guest star and you're thinking, who's that hooded person? And then he <laughs> takes the hood off and like, oh, it's, it's Luke Skywalker with fangs <laughs> and, and a great kind of Slavic, mock Slavic accent. Um <laughs> There's so much that's just lovable about it. I think it's fantastic. I think and I'm going to watch yeah, it again. I think yeah. it needs several watches because, like you said, there's so much in it and there's so many details and layers. Um, yeah, it definitely yeah. needs a rewatch. So can I can I suggest as well that it's a you know focused for pre- for a, a previous no a future episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we could detail, yeah. definitely do that. <laughs> I think we've got the ammunition. We're brilliant. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll write that down. Just to let the listeners know, um, I think when we recommended it the other week, the film was on BBC iPlayer. Yeah. And it's not anymore, but it, it is on Amazon Prime if you got that, um, which is where I found yeah. it. The whole two series are still on the iPlayer. Yeah. And you can find the short film on YouTube. Yeah. So it's all out there. Yeah. Can I just say as well that and on the D- on the Blu-ray DVD, they've got some lovely special features, including um, Viago and, um, oh, what's the Jermaine Clement one <laughs> called? I've forgotten. Oh, he's called yes. Vladislav. Yeah, Vladislav. They, <laughs> like they, go he... to, they go to a vampire festival somewhere right. in Europe, in, I think in Italy. It's very funny. <laughs> okay. Good, good. Is yeah. that a special feature on the DVD of yes. the film? Or the yeah, the TV DVD, DVD okay. of the film. Right, okay. Yeah, cool, so there's lov- lovely little bits like that. And some, yeah, kind of no, I love those little... characters. Yeah. Um, I, I love the way they kind of... You know, Vladislav is basically Vlad the Impaler, isn't yeah. he? But um, <laughs> um, he's kind of gone to seed. I love the moment <laughs> where they say, you know, he used to be great. And he could turn into any animal, but now <laughs> yeah, he can't get you know, their faces. He never gets the faces <laughs> quite. And there's just this bit where you pan across and you yeah. see yeah. a cat with Jermaine Clement's face <laughs> on it. So I think that was the moment where I, would, oh, I just well. thought, "I'm in. <laughs> this is yeah, completely this is got me. me." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was like the um, uh, leave me to do my dark bidding. What are you bidding on? A table. <laughs> 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 oh, 
Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, witches. Yeah. Yes. Which that's a nice segue. There is a witch episode, isn't there, in season two where they get yeah. Witches. Yeah. Oh, and yes, and just before we move on, because it's a kind of a news item, uh, one of my other favourite characters in the show is the the uh, LARPA girl who gets vampirised. Yes. Played by um, Be- uh, Beanie Feldstein. Yeah, he's great. And she's just, she is playing um, Catelyn Moran in the film of Catelyn Moran's yeah. How to Be a Girl, yeah. which is coming out. And... Um, I love the idea of her speaking with the Birmingham accent, but just <laughs> I, I just always feel kind of so out of touch. I discover something and think it's new, and then discover that the people are all over the place. Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah she is everywhere. Before I saw this show. <laughs> um, but she's fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, everybody, let's move on to our main discussion of this episode, and indeed, probably next week's episode yeah. as well. Um, and. I should just let the listeners know that in discussing witchcraft and paganism um, in real life and in relation to horror and horror films, uh, we will be talking in a lot of detail about a number of key films. And to be fair, there are probably going to be a lot of spoilers because it's probably difficult to discuss the representation of, of the witch or pagan characters in the movies without discussing the whole of the movie. Yeah. Um, so just be aware, for this week, uh, if anybody hasn't seen The Witch and would like to, um, 2015's The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers, uh, you know, go away and watch it before you listen to this, because we'll be talking about it. And also we'll do detailed discussions of uh, Ari Aster's Midsommar from last year and um, the original The Wicker Man from yeah. 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably a lot of other films that will come up in the discussion that we might spoil as well, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but those are the ones we're going to spoil in detail, I think. Um, and at this point, I'll hand over to Kirsty because, Kirsty, this is an area that you have a great interest in and expertise upon. <laughs> Apparently. Um, yeah, no, I mean, aside from being interested in, in horror films as, from an academic scholarly direction and as a film fan, um, I also kind of identify as as a witch, um, as a pagan Um but just you know, kind of preparing for this, um, it's actually that sort of a saying that it's quite difficult because um, my identification in that way is is you know kind of twenty five years old now probably, um, and there have been times when you know it's often felt not safe to say those things to sort of come out of the broom covered is what we call it. <laughs> nice. Um, <Right>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, so saying it on, on public record is kind of a little bit scary. So, um, uh, um, but also it's, you know, the kind of communities that I'm going to talk about um, are really diverse, really, really super diverse and they're not centralised. So I'm not going to sit here and, you know, kind of talk about, um, you know, kind of pagans and witches um, and or talk for them. I can't. Um, but I, what I can do is talk about my perceptions of these films as somebody who identifies as being you know kind of a witch as a pagan but I'm also you know cisgender and female and white so those also kind of um uh, inform the way that I've looked at these films and the way I've responded to the films um yeah so that's 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 before we start I think and then I think from what 
what this discussion has sort of, you know, kind of turned, not turned into, but um, is there's a distinction between talking about what is a witch and what is a pagan. And that's kind of, I think, why we need to do this across two weeks is so that they don't kind of yeah. get all conflated because um, it's a bit messy. Um, so, <clears throat> so if we start off with just kind of what is a witch and, you know, um, so principally that... Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Witches tend to define themselves in, th- in three ways. And, you know, you'll find people who, are, who will use one to, defend, defend, uh, to identify themselves as a witch or all three or combinations so it's somebody who actively practices magical rituals or spells somebody who has a spiritual ability um so you know, somebody who considers themselves a psychic medium or who does tarot reading for example um or somebody who worships pagan uh, deities um originally um or the kind of traditional um uh, kind of notion of witchcraft is that often it's hereditary so that you know it's kind of passed down um you know through families um or you it's a, a sort of mystery tradition initiate tradition so you become initiated into um you know becoming a witch but you know in the in the age of the internet um and social media um people are increasingly coming to a you know a pagan or witch identity through those kind of channels um and the kind of crucial thing is it's people identifying as such and then and in doing that that can be a very empowering thing to sort of say i am a witch um rather than have you know and this has happened as well people call you a witch because that they think it's an insult it's being used mm-hmm. pejoratively um so there are lots of different types of witch identities, lots of different types of witches. Um, but it is a term that has been more broadly and historically used by women, although not all witches are women. Um, there are many male witches. Um, and in this country and in America, there's a particular type of witchcraft, which is called pay- uh, sorry, uh so a type of neo-paganism, which is called Wicca, um, which sort of originates um, in Britain in sort of becomes popular in the 1950s, but it starts a little bit earlier than that um, through a guy called Gerald Gardner, who sort of formalised some of those earlier, you know, kind of folkloric traditions, um, nature worship and, you know, kind of spiritual rituals. Um, and yeah, so he kind of basically put a little bit more emphasis on rather than having lots of gods and goddesses a god a goddess and it was more of like a an aspect religion and a ritual system um rather than um something that's been a little bit more kind of you know kind of free form and different in different places if that makes sense so that's what a witch is. <laughs> so, um, right. yeah, so that's, that's kind of, um, maybe talk about the distinction between witches and pagans next time. Okay. If when we, when we think about those things, but it, it's, you know, it's often difficult to talk about witches and witchcraft as a sort of single thing, because it isn't, and it means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and people express their, you know, kind of witch identity differently, and they practice their witch identity differently um which yeah so any <laughs> don't, well, gonna, i'll keep I mean, talking I thought, otherwise <laughs> I thought, well I'm, I'm just, just say thank you very much kirsty because yeah. yeah that's absolutely fascinating and i mean i know what you're saying because um it surprised me that you know you define 
uh, or one potential definition of a witch is somebody like a psychic medium. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you obviously psychic mediums are relatively common. Yeah. Um, but whether or not those people, and, and you know, and I've met some and, and, and known some and write about some, um, but I, I've, I never thought that. Um, they may define themselves as witches, mm. but although that never even occurred to me to ask. So maybe yeah. they do. Yeah. yeah, and again, I think it depends on the tradition in which the kind of psychic ability sits. So obviously, you know, you have spiritual uh, spiritualist churches. So yeah. that's, you know, they're not necessarily identifying as witches, but if they if it exists within, you know, a kind of a yeah, kind of witchcraft cultural framework, then it's, you know, something that people do. Um, kind of identify but they you know might identify that way and then not do the kind of rituals and spells or not think about you know their relationship to any particular god it's just about connection to a spiritual you know yeah. kind of the beyond the veil right. stuff yeah um yeah so uh it also um it kind of fascinated me <clears> that <throat> wicca was relatively recent mm. a relatively recent phenomenon yeah. you know um i mean um I think you said it became popular in the 50s. Yeah. It goes back a little bit further. Obviously, it's based on uh, much older traditions yeah. and things. But so did Gerald Gardner coin the term Wicca? I'm not sure where the, t where the term comes from, but one of the things that's kind of interesting with it is even within the kind of witch community, there's, you know, um, Wicca seems to be like the, it's the mainstream way of kind of becoming a witch, if you like. There's a kind of, mm -hmm. you know, initiation path um, and, um, you know, kind of people are either fully kind of on board with Wicca or not. It tends to, you know, kind of, it can be can be quite divisive um, because it, it's a little bit more, it can be quite dogmatic in yeah. terms of here are the things okay. that you have to do in order to perform rituals to, you know, to kind of have a particular status within the kind of hierarchical structure. Right. Um, um, and, and some people... Um, you know, kind of don't like that about it. They like, you know, kind of slightly more eclectic um, approach and a little bit more, yeah, kind of driven by themselves. So, uh, you know, again, this is why I'm not saying it's really difficult to kind of make pronouncements that kind of cover all witches because it's, you know, every witch is different. Right. And everybody practices slightly differently and places emphasis on different things within their own practice and their own spirituality. So... This is so yeah. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. But again, I think the 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 kind of lo logical place really to talk to move it back into a kind of film media yeah. type discussion really is thinking about why um, why witches present in such a really you know kind of actually quite limited and very negative ways within mainstream media generally. Mm -hmm. Um, but within horror yeah. films specifically, um, and then that really kind of goes back to the way you know the kind of history of witchcraft and the way in which which um witches were defined and then persecuted um during the kind of witch purge um so the kind of witch hunts and the you know kind of burnings of witches which you know kind of happened uh between um you know kind of 1450 to 1750 it's that kind of period um which ended up with about That's an incredibly yeah long time. it is a very very long time but we ended mm. up with about 40,000 deaths apparently um across europe and the us um so to go back even further than that it's the you know kind of the around you know in in, in europe before the roman empire 
came along before they then you know kind of kind of adopted christianity as a religion most you know um european well all european places had a more localized you know kind of pagan belief system and culture um that and again we'll talk about this more next week but those pagan belief structures are more kind of nature-based and more about kind of worshiping the earth and kind of attuning yourself to the rhythms of the you know of the kind of the turning of the wheel um um as the seasons change um and so when christianity got adopted um there was a kind of you know a, a kind of move by um uh by the pope and the papacy to try and make sure or the, those kind of early christian structures to try and you know propagate it across europe and so part of what they did is they started to put in you know kind of festivals um at the times when people were already celebrating so christmas is you know three days after well four days yeah. after yule which is the winter solstice yeah. um uh yeah um festival um when people were already celebrating um and then you know the yeah. kind of other kind of key christian festivals you know both the kind of major ones and the and the lesser ones are all often kind of positioned where pagan festivals were or had been is that why easter moves around yeah yeah well yeah. no easter moves around doesn't it in relation to because actually the, the the dates of the solstices and the the you know the kind of the festivals are actually fairly fixed because they're to do with you know um you know longest day longest night the equinoxes yeah. and all that kind of stuff um so but, but there's even things like um so the day after halloween is or is it all souls day all saints day yes. all saints day yeah, yeah. um Same, yeah. Yeah. yeah so um but yeah so there were lots of but like even the even the word easter <laughs> and the kind of the the symbols that we use around easter um bunnies uh and eggs yeah. you know they they're not christian symbols they're symbols yeah. that have been there was know, no kind of chocolate repro- eggs yeah. in jerusalem no, no. <laughs> uh yeah so they're all you know it kind of works from a kind of christian theology perspective in terms of what that festival represents but it also works as being you know this kind of early spring festival when we're starting to you yeah. know think about the world you know kind of coming or nature coming back to life um, emerging from winter yeah and yeah and the other the other big thing to kind of note is that um the the way in which the kind of the image of Satan um, gets developed, um, which kind of takes uh, images that have become quite important, that were quite important to kind of um, pagan cultures, um, particularly the idea of the kind of the ram or the kind of goat or, or stag and anything with horns um, <laughs> so in paganism right. tends to be, you know, linked to masculine power and yeah. fertility and virility and all that kind of stuff and hunting. And um, so th- those are quite important images um, in pagan traditions. But of course, that gets co-opted and kind of wrapped up into this image of Satan. So if you're worshipping a horned god, then very quickly the you know you can be identified as worshiping satan because you know that is a, an identity that's imprinted upon mm-hmm. that you know um uh, those older gods um so i i come from a christian yeah. background and i'm going to betray my own lack of knowledge about my supposed background here <laughs> mm-hmm. i've just said that all souls and all saints day are the same yeah i don't know if that's actually true um but uh i've got a feeling they might actually be different <laughs> days but i don't know but um but what I can ask you, Kirsty, mm. is so does do you know does the Christian image of the devil as a horned man come was that stolen from pagan traditions yes. or or was it a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. Oh, okay, so it's <laughs> not a coincidence. <laughs> 
definitely right, okay. a, you know a kind of negative appropriation um right, you know okay. so uh, yeah um so the devil existed before that yes. but he was not imaged no. as a horned beast no okay no um yeah so that then leads into this you know kind of um the the big kind of power shift that happens when there's during this kind of witch witch purge time which is also the same time as kind of you know the scientific enlightenment is starting to kind of happen mm -hmm. and and we're getting more you know kind of strength in academia and you know kind of men just you know generally kind of going look at me i know stuff and i understand <laughs> the world um and nothing's changed does yeah, it yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, the kind of the the underside of that is diminishing kind of women's power, and mm -hmm. in you know kind of uh, you know kind of more rural communities, for you know eons, women had been you know the kind of the glue that held those societies together in terms of they were the midwives and they were the the healers. They understood yeah. about how, you know what herbs to use in order to you know to kind of you know help people with pain or whatever they were um yeah. they had you know particular um uh prominence in society and the kind of witch hunts basically diminished um that kind of power by targeting those women who had you know that kind of um respect in the community mm -hmm. um and the one of the kind of important points is is the is the publication of the Malleus Malficarum, which is this really important book <laughs> wrote, written by um, a guy called um, Institorius, um, who was a misogynistic monk who basically he was made. <laughs> I wondered what you were going to say after yeah, misogynistic. Yeah, thought you were going to say yeah. <laughs> well, there's some other words I like to use, but he not a single syllable yeah, word. He, yes, not too different to monk. Um, so he um, he he basically wrote or kind of mainly wrote um this book um called the Malleus Malficarum which was published published first in 1486 um which basically said it sort of it challenged the the existing view of witchcraft at the time which was that witchcraft didn't work um and he basically said it does work um and it works because you know witches are working with the devil um and so he through this book he was able to you know kind of offer some very specific but you know completely erroneous <laughs> guidance on how you identify witches um why they why women in particular um were you know kind of vulnerable to corruption by the devil and then how you try them and execute them um mm. Yeah, which is, I mean, there's, there's someone don't you? Know, we were before we, we started recording. Sally, you were sharing some really lovely quotations um, from from uh, from said book. I don't from know if you've you, yeah, you still got got. I have. I've still got the book open yeah. because I, I can't stop looking at it. So, <laughs> b before I read that quote again, I just want to hop like maybe half a page back. Um, so, could you you mentioned the the Malificarum could tell a witch hunter how to identify a witch yeah and apparently um a telling sign was the presence of an extra nipple somewhere on the body yeah um that was apparently used by witches to suckle their familiars or even the devil himself because he's into that sort of thing yeah um and then yeah so let's get down to this quote so it says so basically the reasons all relate to the classic and phallocentric definition of woman as the other and the weaker and sort of dangerous compliment of man. And the direct quote from the Maleficarum is, What else is woman but a foe to friendship, an unescapable punishment, a necessary evil, a natural temptation, a desirable calamity, 
a domestic danger, that's my favourite, a delectable <laughs> detriment, an evil of nature, and painted with fair colours. And, you know, it's like they're talking about me. It's uncanny. <laughs> Absolutely Well, uncanny. you know, I think you and I would both be in trouble if... Uh, <laughs> oh, we'd be knackered, mate. Yeah. Absolutely knackered. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, it's full of this just... I mean, it's we, we can look at it with modern eyes and go, this is clearly just misogynist misogynistic yeah hate-filled get your bleep you know. ready in fact, it's misogynistic are, yeah, bullshit yes <laughs> in fact you know it's probably not too dissimilar to the kind of stuff that you might find on some you know kind of red pill incel websites incel sites yeah oh my yeah, god yeah yeah oh. uh, so um so basically but well, what i go on <laughs> sorry um kirsty i was just gonna say um i i kind of uh, I mean, I haven't read the book, um, so if I um, if I'm getting the wrong idea, please say. But it, it seems to cloak its argument that witchcraft is dangerous, and we need to get rid of witchcraft. Yeah. By basically saying, but women are dangerous anyway. Yeah. yeah. And that, that don't you know? Um, they're already bad, even if they weren't witches. So basically, even if I was talking nonsense, it would still be good to listen to me. Yeah, there's a circular. Mm. Yeah, 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 uh, and, and logic absolutely, yeah, it. yeah. And it's patriarchal, isn't it? It kind of it yeah. diminishes the power of women, the standing of women within the community, and it punishes women who you know kind of dare to stand up and yeah. to speak out and to you know kind of do what they thought was right. Um, you know, so. Th- yeah, it's. I mean, it talks about women that they're more likely to succumb to this kind of pact with the devil because yeah. of their carnal desires. So that idea of or female sexuality, yeah, or more driven by kind of the need for sex, um, that they mm. talk more, <laughs> and so therefore more more likely to um, accidentally say stuff they shouldn't, um, and so therefore yeah. need spells in order to keep people quiet. Yeah, okay. Um, and also, and gonna, can I interrupt <laughs> yeah. you there? Kirsten, <laughs> How dare this you? This is my favourite bit from your notes. Yes. Um, that they're more prone to yeah. fever. Carnal no, desires, yeah. willingness to spill secrets, and that they are prone to fever. Yeah. So. <laughs> So the idea is, I think, I think um, that it's well, it's actually the more po- prone to dysentery. So therefore, right. <laughs> more likely to be feverish, and so in their you know kind of state of fever, more likely to kind of you know sign a pact with the devil and do his dark bidding, ah. um, not not for tables though. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that yeah, so it's it's it. What's interesting about it is that it doesn't it the 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 mythology of the Maleficarum doesn't actually empower women at all mm-hmm. it just mm. says you know that women are more likely to serve satan than mm-hmm. you know not um but what's right. really interesting though is that it wasn't that this idea of kind of the woman as a witch isn't cultural isn't culturally universal so in iceland for example mm. um the the kind of purge they had had there was more male focused because actually their pagan tradition um because obviously iceland is um you know kind of very rich in terms of its kind of pagan culture and pagan history um actually was already quite patriarchal in those structures and so men were the you know kind of magical practitioners um more than women were um so that when so their purge the the you know overwhelmingly the um victims were male not female 
Um, yeah, so okay. that's kind of so all of that so stuff. Were they also inter- influenced by the same text? Yes. Or would they have, you know? Yeah, but 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 they you know. So they would read that book and think this stuff applies to men. You know, it's it's it seems quite unlikely because of uh, the circular logic yeah. that I mm. but alluded I think... to that you could read this because basically this book seems seems like it says. Women are horrible in all ways, aren't they? And P.S. They're also witches. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, And it seems like a, a kind of patriarchal witch yeah. society would look at that book and just go, "Oh, this book just hates women. Mm-hmm. That's all right. We've got them sorted <laughs> out anyway." But I think I think um, what, what happened though with with is that the, the the use of the word witch you know is more commonly used in the book than woman. But you know, there's a kind right. of it, there's there's sort of three parts of the book. One is explains kind of what a witch is, and then you know, kind of you know how to do the process of you know, um, capturing, identifying them, capturing them, and torturing them, and then executing them. Um, but the what what's interesting with 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 um, Iceland is just because unlike the rest of Europe, where women had the you know were the midwives and were the kind of you know the, the not that the societies were entirely matriarchal, but there was more status for women, you know, the idea of the wise woman, for example, mm-hmm. um, that that didn't ha- wasn't the same, the structures weren't the same in Iceland. So they were able to, you know, kind of, they, and uh, to be fair, I think Iceland didn't have a massive amount of death. It was quite, it was, you know, not huge, but they were men. And it was, you know, that that the connection right. has been made to the fact that, you know, that their kind of pagan tradition was more patriarchal anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but I think often what happened with you know, it's not that 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 the result of the Malleus Maleficarum wasn't that wi- genuine witches um, were being identified and, and tortured and executed. It was just a way. I mean, it was a really easy way of getting rid of people who weren't conforming or who mm-hmm. pissed you off in any way. Um, yeah. You know, so <laughs> so just it a was standardized you know, yeah, persecution exactly. of women. And actually, I think I think it was a thing in the Maleficarum, which basically sort of you know, in it, it kind of. In encourage people to um like that you had a duty to report anything that looked like witchcraft and that actually if you didn't then that was as bad (laughs) as being a witch so it was probably better if you wanted to not burn on a you know a hellishly hot pyre um to accuse somebody of witchcraft than to wait for somebody to accuse you right so (laughs) So all of these ideas, basically, if you think about it, are kind of, I mean, this was a massively popular book, even though that it wasn't, you know, kind of it, like the, the church and uh, academia pretty quickly distanced themselves from it. But it was really, really, really popular with people in Europe and then in America. It was actually second. It was um, the only other book that outsold it was the Bible. Wow. Okay. So those ideas and those, you know, kind of the idea that witchcraft works and that that witches are women and they're in league with the devil, um, that underpins, I think, all of these, you know, kind of the way in which witches have been um, represented in, um, you know, more contemporary media texts. So one of the Mm -hmm. first films about witchcraft um is uh, a film called haxton um witchcraft of the ages um made in 1922 which reports to be a documentary but it's a documentary of the malleus malficarum which you know is bullshit okay. anyway <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, you know, so it kind of looked at that and then the hysteria surrounding, uh, you know, surrounding witch hunts. And whilst it sort of starts off as being kind of quite documentary-like, it becomes much more kind of poetic and much more, you know, kind of creative in its treatment of reality. Um, and that's 1922. So, you know, already we've got a very strong link between the Malleus Malficarum, the published book, you know, mm -hmm. from way back when, which nobody should really take seriously. And, you know, one of the first representations of witches in, yeah. in Horace, well, you know, in cinema. So in a way, it, I mean, I haven't seen Haxon. Is it more like a dramatisation of the book? Um, Do you know what I mean? I haven't seen it in a very long time, but yes, it has those kind of elements of, you know, it sort of, it, yeah, it sets out to use that kind of documentary kind of form. But, you know, in 1922, like what a documentary was and how it operated is still very much kind of up for grabs. There wasn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. a, there isn't a kind of, a, you know, a documentary set of codes and conventions that mm -hmm. everybody used, but it, so it kind of termed itself a documentary. Um, but it, you know... It, you know, it has representations of the actual devil in it, so... Right, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the next one to talk about is um, is the Wizard of Oz, I wow, think, okay. which is obviously not horror, but, you know, <laughs> I think if you see it as a small child, there are parts of it which sure, are very, really, frightening. <laughs> very, very yeah. frightening. I mean, the, you know, flying monkeys, not, not you know, not least. Um, and, the, and the wheelies in Return to Oz. Oh, gosh. Oh, oh no. Well no, but, well, well, no, but I mean, Return to Oz, full stop, is just horror, <laughs> as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Um, well, to be fair, when somebody, when they made Return to Oz, obviously realised, look, the Wizard of Oz has already traumatised all the children <laughs> in the world. We need to make sure this film goes even further. Yeah. And they actually succeeded in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the Wizard of Oz, um, when, when I, was, I was reading your notes, it made me think about how witches as a monster sort of frequently appearing outside horror. Yes. Because one of the Wizard of Oz, it's, it's, you know, it's the musical and stuff. Then you, later on, you've got things like Bewitched and Sabrina and yeah. you know, even Roald Dahl's, you know, book, the, the Witches. You've got witches appearing, a monster that's sort of stepping out of horror and mm. sometimes being quite sympathetic, so particularly with, with Sabrina. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then with the Wizard of Oz, when I studied witches on my horror module many many years ago, um, we looked at it in terms of you know the, the the Wicked Witch of the North, is it? I can't remember. West. The good and the good and the bad yeah. witch. It's the good yeah. witch of the North, yeah. and the Wicked Witch is is the, the one from yeah. the, the West, West, I think. Um, yeah. By the way, this is an exact conversation from the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and she says, Wicked Witch of the East was the bad one. Yeah. No wonder they got lost in the woods. Yes. Well, it's all right. I'm just sat in, in a bedroom in my house, so I'm fine. Not going to get lost. <laughs> Maybe. But the, the exploration of the, the good and the the perceived good and the perceived bad elements of, yeah. of femininity. So the yeah. good witch arrives in her nice pink bubble and a big pink dress and her lovely blonde hair. And she's yeah. perfectly made up and she wants to help Dorothy and she's all lovely. Then you've got the wicked witch who's, who's you've bent over and cackly and mean and nasty yeah. and she hates children and it's like that that dichotomy between a woman you know should be should be lovely and friendly and nice and want to help ch 
children and like children or you've got the woman who hates children so she's obviously evil obviously a witch you're a bad yeah. person everything that's wrong with femininity over there in the wicked witch mm-hmm. and when i was young and i watched it i didn't see any of that i just saw the terrifying flying monkeys yeah. um but you know right. looking back at it now older with with fresher eyes and old eyes as well let's be honest you can see how entrenched these ideas of women were as you just said yourself in in very very early cinema it's right yeah, there yeah yeah and i think what's what's uh, the, um what's interesting about the wizard of Oz. on one hand it's from a kind of pagan representation is actually not terrible because mm-hmm. there is a distinction between you know kind of two different types of witches rather than yeah. all witches are terrible but then yeah. kind of glinda isn't you know that this the idea that she is a witch is sort of slightly underplayed in yeah only in as much as she's an unusual representation um yeah. whereas obviously um not that she's called Elphaba, but let's call her that. Um, that <laughs> the kind of you know uh, wicked witch of the east um, is much more clearly an archetypical or archetypal witch, um, and that that links to something that um, uh, Barbara Creed talks about in her book *Monstrous Feminine*. Talks about mm-hmm. the idea of the phallic woman, mm-hmm. um, the ugly witch. Right. You know, the so this is yeah the ugly witch, but particularly in the phallic woman. You know, the emphasis on you know things that are clearly more ph- phallic. So her, you know, kind of pointy nose and pointy mm-hmm. fingers. Yeah. And the fact that she doesn't, you know, she's not a queen or a consort to a, a you know, a, a male with more power. She's more threatening because of that lack of, you know, a kind of patriarchal figure within her sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's, a, a, you know, the, the kind of Freudian reading is, is that she's an emasculating character because mm-hmm. she doesn't, she has no need of a man in order to, to kind of fully kind of self-actualize and, and do what she wants, um, you know, so... And therefore evil. And therefore yeah, evil, therefore exactly, evil. exactly. Yeah. It's it's like women, when freed from Ooh. the kind of patriarchal structures, are just much more threatening. Right. Well, I, I'm certainly frightened. <laughs> I don't know about the listeners, so, you know. Um, this seems a good point to ask, because we're talking about the Wizard of Oz and the good and the wicked witches. I've always wondered about the phrase uh, um, the white witch. Is that something which has any basis in any tradition or is it just a synonym for good that that people use generically when defining witches as good or evil? I think the meaning is different depending on who you ask. I think it was a fashionable term at one point to very clearly, if you're going to identify yourself as a witch to other people, to sort of say, no, 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 I'm a good witch. <laughs> Don't worry about right. me. Um, I And I think that there are, you know, kind of part of at least my understanding and my kind of, yeah, kind of reconciliation with what my witch identity means to me is that there's, you know, there's kind of light and dark in all of us. And, mm-hmm. that, and part of to understand ourselves is to uh, embrace our you know, our kind of light side and our dark side, our, you know, light and shadow. Um, so I think in a more contemporary sense, it's not used as much because people, I think, are a little bit more cool with the idea of, you know, we are a whole right. um, and sometimes that's light and sometimes that's dark. And that and the darkness doesn't necessarily mean that we're hexing and cursing, um, <laughs> you know, left, right and centre. It just means sometimes a little bit more kind of sitting with, you know, 
the things that are, you know, sort of darker expressions of ourselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. In Barbara Creed's um, uh, book, The Monstrous Feminine, which I've just talked about, um, the, she also makes the point about how the, the kind of the archetype of the witch in horror um, is something that's distinctly female because of um, kind of female reproduction, that women in you know, and female experience is just kind of closer to or more commonly linked to abjection. Um, and she makes a kind of interesting point, which many, many other people have made, which is that, you know, kind of back in, you know, before we knew and understood things um that females you know kind of often seemed to men to be magical because we could just you know suddenly oh there was you know a baby um and that kind of understanding of 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 the relationship between having sex and producing a child you know that wasn't something that we initially understood and also then you know the kind of menstrual cycle you know is the same length as a lunar cycle and um all of those kind of things um so you know, and and to go back to that kind of the way that women often were, you know, kind of positioned within um, kind of rural and, and early societies as being, you know, kind of um, the caregivers, the, you know, kind of um, the midwives, you know, looking after other women in particular, yeah. um, often meant that those, you know, kind of female structures, female communities were kind of insular within a wider society, a wider yeah. community. Um so that's something that Creed sort of draws on in, in thinking about why women are often, you know, viewed as other in horror, but in really specifically female ways. Um, and then I read a really interesting um, book called Metaphysical Media by Emily uh, D. Edwards. Um, and in that book, she's got a whole chapter which talks about the different types of um, which archetypes in film and media more broadly. So I just thought it's quite useful to just kind of go through those because actually I was surprised after, you know, sitting there kind of and as a witch going, I'm annoyed that all witches are <laughs> represented the same. And then I read that chapter and oh, I was so wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she identifies uh, eight different archetypes um, of witches on screen. Um, so I'll just run through them quickly with a couple of examples. So she talks about the satanic witch. So this is a, you know, kind of a witch that is uh, exclusively linked to um you know, the kind of devil or motivated by the devil or Satan or whatever. So um, Blood on Satan's Claw, for example, is quite a good example of that type of witch. Um, She talks about the historical witch. So um, obviously these are, you know... These are representations of witches that are based in in historical record. Um, So, you know, anything, any depiction of the Joan of Arc story, for example. Um, Haxon obviously has elements of this. um, And uh, Witchfinder General also kind of depicts historical witches, whether or not they're actually witches is obviously up for debate. Um, But it's, you know, rooted in, you know, the kind of witch purge and the... um, Uh, witch trials um then she talks about the dubious witch which is you know kind of essentially a fake witch so some a woman who is often accused of being a witch but not you know righteously um so um there's an example of that kind of character in the seventh seal um Mm -hmm. the crucible is another one um Yeah. yeah so witches who aren't witches essentially um then she talks about of course fairy tale witches so 
good examples of those obviously slightly more kind of family friendly so you yeah. know characters like maleficent um or starless and we might even think about to a certain extent frozen you know um yeah. elsa is right. you know labeled as a witch early on when her powers are revealed yeah. um but then you know she, she she's still a witch you know she still has you know the kind of witchly powers um and also does not need a man well done Disney. would you put um <laughs> ophelia from pan's labyrinth in that section because she's kind of going on a, on a journey of discovery and discovering that she can cast spells and manipulate things. Yeah, and, I mean, I think she stuff. might actually better fit into a later category, which I'll skip to now, which is the um, the ingenue. Right. So this is, you know, kind of uh, often, yeah, it's whenever the witch archetype is framed alongside a coming of age narrative. Right, okay. So when they're coming into their power. Um, yeah. So, yes, um, but also kind of carry is yeah. you know that kind of um narrative um and even you know kind of harry potter um harry himself right. you know even though it's a, a it's a, w- a world that differentiates between you know kind of male practitioners and female practitioners that you know come on guys they're all the same jk ought to know better um well she clearly doesn't but they wizardry yes exactly because mm-hmm. the only distinct it, yeah and i think there was so just to go back i'm not entirely 100 percent certain about when this happened but there was a point um in in europe where witchcraft was illegal and you could be burnt at the stake but sorcery that was fine. Oh, that guess, was all good, was it? Guess, oh, right. guess what the difference was? A penis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You had to have... Yeah. <laughs> that was. You had to own a penis. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there were well, many no, that... witches who were getting themselves penises uh, in order to... Uh... <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that was a question that did occur to me earlier, yeah. actually. You know, in a 300-year period, if, if you're burning all the women who were basically the apothecaries and the healers... Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, what happened, I mean, presumably those communities continue to need people like that. And I know that a lot of them will have gone yeah. underground and just kind of hidden their abilities. But if you were a male and you um, started to dabble in that area, was that just overlooked? Well, or yeah, but it, all that you were just sort of, you know, you were able to frame it in a slightly different way as I'm an alchemist or I'm a... You know, mm. I'm a scholar and, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was shit. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. generally that they were, they could kind of continue, but it was, it was about how it was kind of framed and how it was recorded. And, and um, you know, I mean, there's quite a lot of stuff around um, the, like the Knights Templar, for example, and about their practices, which are slightly more pagan than we might have expected. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just going to go back to the the taxonomy. Then we've got a uh, shamanic um, witch. So these are these are often representations that are a little bit more kind of um, uh, culturally sensitive um, in terms of that they tend to be. This is more we might find are representations of kind of um, voodoo, hoodoo practitioners. Um, so uh, I've got East by you as an example, but um, also yeah, the uh, Naomi character, uh, Naomi Harris characters. What's her name? Tia, somebody from um, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. You know, kind of. Oh, well, yeah, I haven't seen either of those no, films. No. So, but it's much much more kind of like you know, kind of, for want of a better term, kind of uh, ethnic witchcraft that you know kind of comes from or has roots in you know kind of. Um, in more tribal um, kind of 
yeah, sub-Saharan non African. Yeah, non, cultures, yeah. By the sound yeah. Of it. Thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> Struggling there. <laughs> okay. It's like, oh, yeah. So that's that that type. Um, but that's not again. It, but that's a it's a slightly, slightly false thing because that idea is that, that I would argue that well next week when we talk about um, uh, midsummer that there's an element of that kind of cultural specificity that mm. is present yeah. in midsummer um and arguably in in wicker man which is you know kind of which is shamanic in, in at least in that definition yeah um then we've got a uh, new age which is a little bit more kind of wishy-washy um <laughs> and <laughs> so wishy well, the, the the example um that uh edwards gives is um san from um farscape um, who I don't know if you either wow. of you remember to what remember Farscape, but she was the blue lady. I, I remember Farscape. Yes, and she was very much kind I of in touch with energies. Um, and then you know the other example I had, what I found was um, a kind of a, a low budget American rom com called Ten Inch Hero, which is about a girl who moves to California um, and moves in with somebody who sort of practices Wicca, but in a kind of you know in a very kind of new agey very light crystals you know kind of right. <laughs> you know right bohemian styling type right. thing um so that kind of representation then we talked about the uh, the ingenue and then finally there's the enchantress so this is the you know kind of version of the witch who uses feminine sexuality to mm-hmm. lure you know kind of male victims um so you know love witch which hopefully we'll talk about it a bit more later um and um practical magic magic which i know is not a, a horror film but is one that the the people who identify with witches often sort of cite as being quite an important film in terms of the representation mm-hmm. of of uh witchcraft on screen so those are those right. uh types um which you know kind of leads us into uh, i think talking about the witch so Robert mm. Robert Eggers uh, 2015 yes. film. So I think the the contextual thing to know about this is that the which gets revealed and I, there's part of me want that wishes that it had been at the beginning rather than at the end is the acknowledgement that um, it's really really strongly um, based on uh, sort of witch trials or kind of the you know the witch purge that happened um in uh in america um right. and was the a lot of the dialogue was based on historical yeah. documentation from the time yeah um so it does so it clearly is in terms of edward's taxonomy this is the satanic witch mm-hmm. um the satanic witch yes. is yes. my favorite kind of witch right it clearly fits into a christian worldview yes yeah yeah world. yeah absolutely yeah. and the 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 um just for context the the story is about a a puritan family that they get kicked out of their town for being too puritan um <laughs> and then they go yes. off into the woods um uh in yeah into the middle of nowhere and trying to sort of carve out a life for themselves um and it all kicks off when they're beautiful and then this is the thing is and when you're watching horror you always know it's terrible um when they have this beautiful little baby samuel who gets taken um and then is is no more um and that kind of starts the yeah kind of kicks off the 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 horror 
in the narrative. So last and this is in seventeen hundreds <laughs> New England. Yeah, 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 sixteen thirties apparently. 1630s, yeah. yeah, so this is this yeah. is uh sixty years before the Sorry, Salem. 17th century, I meant to say. Yeah. Sixty years before the Salem witch trials, which happened, yeah, sixteen nineties. Um so last week when we talked about it, <laughs> Dan, you right. you there was a, a, a as far as I remember, a kind of intake of breath when we talked about this oh. film. So I'm really keen to know what you feel. <laughs> It. Well, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I've seen it twice now. Yeah. And I watched it once when it was new and um, had quite a, a bad experience with it in the sense that I watched it with a bunch of guys and we essentially just laughed at it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think it was, had much merit, to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, but I did very quickly become aware that uh, it has been received very, very well in almost all critical quarters and, and with a great section of the horror community. And reading more about it, I thought, you know, intellectually, I, I see what they're saying. I, I, you know, I get this. Um, so therefore, I've long been intending to watch it again to try and get a second uh, refreshed view on it. And... The fact that we're talking about this now gave me that opportunity. Um, I suppose my intake of breath was slight disappointment, not in the film, but because I didn't feel that I got that much more out of it. Mm. The conclusion that I came to was that it's a hugely admirable film, um, brilliant in so many ways. It just doesn't emotionally affect me very much. And I think that might significantly be due to the fact that my initial viewing of it was in that way if i'd watched it on my own with different preconceptions then um you know i could have a different emotional memory about it um but unfortunately you know watching it again it's obviously it's quite a simple story so even Mm. though it was several years since i've seen it i still pretty much knew everything was going to happen so um Let me well let, let me say some good things about it. I don't think <laughs> it necessarily connects to the topic of the discussion, but um, it's a brilliantly written film. The use of language is amazing. Yeah. I think it's so admirable because it was done on such a small budget. The um, the acting is fantastic uh, in parts, particularly the children in it mm. are amazing. Um, I think. A main problem I have with engaging with the story is that I don't really like the performance of uh, Ralph Innocent, who plays the father. And also, Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays the oldest child. Mm -hmm. um, Thomasin. Thomasin, yeah. yeah. She's brilliant, but just somehow doesn't look right to me. Um think that was my problem because I came away with it for the first time definitely thinking that she wasn't very good now I, I look at it and see that she's giving a, a kind of incredibly well tooled perfectly pitched performance but I think there's something about the way she's kind of 
looks cherubic and yeah she doesn't just healthy she doesn't look dirty enough does she (laughs) in the yeah Yeah, they're in this in you know kind of hovel in the middle of the woods and they should all be a lot (laughs) grubbier and i think yeah yeah, i think partly it's to do with the you know the kind of her you know her beautiful porcelain skin and her beautifully bright blonde hair i mean she doesn't quite fit in that landscape in a convincing way But yeah, but I'm, I agree. I'm I think glad she's, you said yeah. that because I wondered if I, if I was being unfair on her by feeling like that because the children, the younger children, are also um, you know very cute and healthy looking yeah. because uh, you know whereas the parents are extremely haggard, <laughs> you know um, they're not that old, but it's a hard life they're all living. Mm. Yeah, and I, I suppose I kind of thought that. It's all right when you're very young to have that bloom and to, uh, uh, and and that chubby brightness to you, but um, as you get older, that you'd lose that. Yeah. And I th- I thought Thomasin was just slightly too old to not have lost that. Uh, or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so so therefore, in a way, I found it difficult. I think it's really essential if you're getting into the story to feel sympathy for Thomasin. And to feel sometimes sympathy and sometimes afraid of the father. And I think if yeah. you don't feel those things, it's hard to get into it. So intellectually, and the way the story goes, I, I, I have complete sympathy for Thomasin. But in terms of her being on screen, I'm not really moved by it. Um, but there are so many things in the film that I think it does just very effectively. Um, I think... The scene at the start where the baby uh, is kidnapped, where Thomasin is playing peekaboo with it, yeah, and then she opens her eyes and the baby's just gone, mm. is so chilling, yeah. Um, and uh, the the movie is full of brilliantly pitched kind of details like that. Mm. Um, and I also uh, really appreciate, as you're giving me in the floor in terms of unloading my um, impressions of this movie, bless you. Um, you know, I, I kind of like, I think the film does a very successful balance between the kind of witchcraft, uh, black magic kind of aspects of the plot being frightening. You know, I think uh, the witch herself, the initial witch who takes the child, mm. um, is... Uh, filmed really strongly in the sense that you see her but not too much yeah um other uh familiar characters in the movie like black philip um are, you know have a an atmosphere around them the children um and their different reactions and this especially the scene where the older boy is kind of possessed that's you know it's yeah. very harrowing and it has all that but at the same time Ultimately, at the end, and, you know, I did say that we're going to spoil this, but when Thomasin kind of chooses to become a witch mm-hmm. at the end, you do feel that, um, I mean, it, the film does align that with Satan and things yeah, like yeah. that, but but you do feel that she's, that's the best deal available to her. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, given what she's come from, like, you know, 45 minutes earlier in the film, I think her mum and dad were talking about, because that their crops had failed and they had no money. They were talking about 
taking her back to the settlement and marrying her off. Yeah. Or, the, or, or, um, or selling her into servitude. Or yeah, getting her to sort of yeah. work yeah. for yeah. the family, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just so, so just using her as a source of income, and and compared to all that, um, I think the choice she makes is really um, understandable. And also the ending where there's a kind of a, a coven of witches who all start to fly. Um, it's just brilliantly done. And again, the, it, I marvel at it from the sense of um, considering the budget of the film. Mm. Um, because I think that that ending, which I I loved even the first time I watched it, even though I didn't like the rest of the film, I thought that was a really well-realised ending. Uh, It's just kind of um, Thomasin flying up into the darkness and laughing. um, I just thought was fantastic. Um, So those are most of my thoughts on it, uh, Kirsty. I'm sure I'll have more, but... um, (laughs) so, how about yourself? Well, I was going to ask, ask Stella what she thought. <laughs> okay, uh, Stella. Well, I think lots of the things that Dan said, I, I agree with. I think the the historical detail in the film had me swinging from either really appreciating it and thinking they'd done very, very well, particularly with the construction of the dialogue. But there were times when I found the construction of the dialogue in its sort of historical, you know, manner of speaking and the vernacular and all that sort of stuff. I found it a bit annoying sometimes. Maybe mm. it was just the way Ralph Innocent was um, delivering it. And I, I don't know with that actor anyway. Yeah. I, I always just want him to clear his throat. It's just, it's just <laughs> right. all, the whole time I'm sat there going. <clears throat> so that kind of clouds my judgment a little bit. However the film as a whole i thought as a sort of slow build tension it was really really good and the you know all the looks into looks back into the forest behind them i really enjoy who doesn't enjoy a spooky forest really um and then i think like you said at the end when she rises up into the trees and, and she's you know laughing away at having become become a witch I was like, like you said, yeah, you, you you go and become a witch. <laughs> That's definitely what you should do after everything that you've been through. So I found the ending to be a pleasing ending because that's what I wanted her to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the most harrowing bit in the film for me was when um, Caleb offers Samuel to, to the mother, what's she called? Catherine. Yeah. Um, so that she might breastfeed the baby, but then the baby turns out to be a crow that's pecking at her breast. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, that bit yeah. was like Stunning. having breastfed a child myself. It was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. was the bit that made me go, oh, oh dear, <laughs> oh no. But no, no, I, I, I did enjoy the I, film. But yeah, sometimes I, I struggled with the, the construction of the dialogue in in that way sometimes. Mm. But um, I was overall pleased with Thomason becoming, joining the coven and becoming becoming a witch. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just got to say, I don't think you need to be a mother or anything. To <laughs> no, 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 no. It's horrible. Nobody wants a crow um, pecking think, at your boob. <laughs> no. Nope. Although, having said that, maybe if it was Ralph Innocent getting his nipple pecked, <laughs> I wouldn't have been as bothered. <laughs> I do think um, Kate Dickey is fantastic oh, as well. Yeah. She, um, yeah again, yeah, um, Kate, Kate Dickey. We shall never forget yeah. her name. Like, ever <laughs> again, Dan. No, no, <laughs> never again. Never again. Um, uh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't think I mentioned, I just think it's beautifully shot. It is. 
and the the music is amazing. I think maybe that again because it's extremely a sinister, kind of atonal, beautifully crafted music. I think if you're sitting there not finding the film frightening and the music is kind of going at saying to you, you must be scared, you must be scared, which it sort of is, mm. I think that could be a bit annoying and that might have also set me against it first time, but it is a brilliant score. Mm. Yeah. So I think for you know, if if anyone who's not seen it, I think if you know you do like sort of anything in and around witches freaky babies weird children it's definitely up there and yeah. worth watching yeah you know if if that's your particular box of frogs um <laughs> yeah 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 it's, yeah it's a good one i think i think you know there's, there's definitely worst worse rather witch movies yeah for sure oh and uh, can I say, and the voice of Black Philip when he finally speaks. Yeah. yeah. I love the voice, yes. and I also love that you don't see him speak, obviously, because yes. he's a goat, yes. and it would be very difficult to not make that comedic. Yeah. Although, I, on the second viewing, I, I couldn't really tell if it was meant to be him speaking, you know, because you see that figure yeah. who's kind of supposed to be Satan. But you don't see him speaking either, but the voice comes from somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Um, but there, there's just something so chilling about that, about the way that voice is delivered. Yeah. Um, things like that I, I did love very much. So, Kirsty, mm. <laughs> give us your thoughts, well, please. Well, I mean, I, I have a variety of thoughts. Um, I think my, as, as a, a horror fan and as, a, a, you know, somebody who really likes a really slow burn... Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was really well crafted, and some of those, like the you know the final kind of few shots with the the kind of cavern and and um, Thomason, you know, kind of elevating in with the you know the trees behind her reminded me. And I apologise, I don't have the, the specific name of the artist, but there's that kind of you know very romantic kind of image of you know kind of ethereal or sort of set of um, uh, art by I think you know, uh, Victorian painters of kind mm. of ethereal, ethereal right. women, you know, kind of against night that skies. Sort of yeah. Pre-Raphaelite yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not, I'm not sure if it's pre-Raphaelite specifically, but that, you know, it kind of, it reminded me of, of that. And I, so yes, um, as a witch though, <laughs> it, it, right. it pisses me off no end. Um, <laughs> Oh, okay. No, just purely because, again, I mean, it's not to say that there are not satanic witches. There are, but, you know, kind of <laughs> being a pagan witch means that you're completely, di di you know, divorced from the kind of Christian theology, usually. Yeah. Sure. Again, I'm sure there are some, some witches who would identify themselves as Christian witches, which is fine, and you know, but... It's, again, it's that sort of sense of, I mean, because of what this film is and what it sets out to do, it couldn't be any other way because of, mm -hmm. you know, its historical reference point and it's, you know, and the use of that, that dialogue and it's the source material and all of that kind of stuff. But we still kind of end up in a place where um, the, you know, you talked about the initial witch. Well, she's naked and she's old. And so we have that, again, mm -hmm. what off, is often used. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm going to repeat the same 
criticism with Midsummer is that the kind of the older female naked body is part of the aesthetic of horror often it's yeah. meant to be sort of seen as abject and horrible and bleh, um, yeah. rather than something beautiful and empowering or whatever so aligning her with sacrificing a baby which thank you Robert Ergo's for not actually putting that on screen thank you for hiding <laughs> that in the cut I'm very very grateful but still we have that kind of sense of um, yeah they're kind of the evilness it's pretty unambiguous yeah, yeah. it is absolutely yeah. they do everything but show yeah, yeah. it yeah. Um, so we have the idea of which is human sacrifices uh, older women you know kind of as part of the you know kind of abject aesthetic um the use of, I mean, I love Black Philip. I mean, he's he's clearly an icon already, I think. Yeah. Um, but yes. <laughs> but it's again, it's the use of you know, kind of a horned animal which stands in for you know for state for Satan. Um, you know, so that has you know a kind of uh, association with pagan tradition, uh, which is being again co opted in the way in which it always has and coded therefore as evil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, there's the bit in the middle of the film where Caleb is, you know, kind of off in the forest by himself. And, you know, he, you know, understandably kind of sees this beautiful woman and is, you know, kind of lured in by her. But again, the, the film is equating female sexuality as something that's intrinsically linked to witchcraft, which is, you know, kind of what Edward's talked about in that enchantress archetype. Mm -hmm. And so we have that sort of sense that it's not how she really looks. It's like the red woman in Game of Thrones, isn't it? Is that's not how she really looks. This is a facade in order to get, you know, what she wants from him. Um, Yeah. I did like though, the way that the film go, you know, sort of sets up this idea that the witch can only be female or witches can only be female. And then does this lovely turn when we realize actually what's been going on with black Philip and actually who has been, in league with him which are the twins so we have this you know kind of male this idea that whilst you know kind of thomason gets in trouble because she you know jokes with her sister about oh i'm the witch and i'm gonna eat you um that actually it's you know um it's not quite as kind of clear cut as that um but i think the tragedy of the film not in a critical sense but the you know the, the what drives the film in terms of you know it being horror and you feeling invested in it is that what we have is a good and i'm doing air quotes um and christian family you know that they mm. there's nothing particularly evil about them you know they mm. want to survive they seem to love each other they seem to just be trying to kind of get through there's yeah. horrible things that happen to them. Um, and so they're all sort of victims um, of Black Philip and his witches, um, which as a viewer rather puts you on the side of, I, I felt on the side of, you know, the family rather than Black Philip. And I, I get what you're both saying about kind of feeling like it's the right ending for Thomasin, but it's an mm. obvious ending that she is a young influential girl becomes a witch becomes mm-hmm. seduced by it that's exactly what the the mother said would happen um rather than <laughs> right, kind of going yeah. screw you guys i'm gonna <laughs> get this axe and I'll chop your head off black philip <laughs> bathe in <laughs> your blood and then i'm gonna go <laughs> back into town and they might burn me into witch but at least i'll know that i did the right thing um mm. yeah so uh, oh that'd be a lovely ending. it would wouldn't it um yeah. so it sort of slightly does you know again reinforce those images that came from the malfacarum um of you know 
kind of women as being secondary, you know, and often willing followers yeah. of, you know, kind of, you know, demonic male. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, true. Um, I, I'll just respond to a couple of points, though. I mean, I found that I, I didn't... Well, the family is largely innocent. The children certainly seem to be, and and I think the mother is. But I think that they're all victims of the father. And I, I don't oh, think yeah. I just didn't like him because <laughs> I, mm. I don't really like Ralph Innocent. I think that he's meant to be, you know... Um, well, they're thrown out of their settlement for being too puritan. Yeah, which which um, is he's he's very he's very hard line mm. Christian, isn't he? I mean, I I don't I don't I think maybe the film doesn't give us enough material about exactly yeah know, the conflict of beliefs between him and the settlement. Yeah, to, I think that would have been helpful. judgment. I think that would be helpful, and I think yeah. certainly it, sort of yeah, depicting him as being slightly more hard line, particularly around. Um, you know, maybe his treatment of Thomas and Caleb would have been better. He, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't find Ralph Innocent as as, as objectionable as you both clearly do. <laughs> um, I thought I quite enjoyed him I mean, in this. No, I, but yeah, I, well, that's cool. I, I yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think maybe he's. I, I'm unfair on him, and <laughs> you know, he's become as a result of this film, he's become a bit of a star yeah, in yeah. the folk horror area. Yeah. Um, whereas before this film, he was best known for playing Finchie in The Office. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a nice move for him. But I was just sitting there thinking, gosh, this would be so much better if he was Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Or something like that. But again, that. I think yeah. that's it's um, the writing, though, isn't it? In that it would, he, because the, the, the scenes that we get to see him in um, or that emphasise him. So there's a the whole bit, isn't there, where, where, um, where it's just him and Caleb. Uh, in the woods and he seems to be kind of quite a reasonable man <laughs> you know in terms of him him wanting to kind of keep his family going and you know he's obviously yeah. explained about the I mean, setting of the cup and you know um yeah and he's trying to teach his son things. yeah i think um i read it that he's basically misguided but he is sincerely doing his best yeah. i suppose that's so he is a positive character in that sense. He's well-meaning. Yeah. He's mm. just kind of too harsh and not very good at doing all the things he wants to do. No. Um, which is why I, I kind of say that the turning to witchcraft at the end is like the best option yeah. available to Thomas. And it's not... Yeah. I mean, you know, um, it, the ending that you suggest, <laughs> which is that she kind of asserts her own agency <laughs> yes. and, and goes back to the settlement... Um, it would be lovely, but at the same time, it's not a great option for her no. <laughs> because um, she'd get burned or whatever. Well, um, <laughs> so, so just kind of pragmatically, I think um, you, you, uh, as a viewer, I kind of felt a, just a little bit glad that she was getting something a bit better. I'm not saying it's perfect. No, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, but, but it, yeah, yeah. I mean, she certainly is is. Seduced and into what's the 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 phrase he uses about into living deliciously, um, and yeah. he doesn't want to live yeah. deliciously. To be honest, oh, um, but absolutely. my my well, deliciousness, yeah. my preferred deliciousness at the end of the film would have been a <laughs> um, a goat roast. I think there's <laughs> right. a big fire there already. 
Oh, I'm vegan, so, could, so I don't yeah. want that. Uh, <laughs> see, I, I, I'm not even into eating goat, but I just feel like that, you know. That would, <laughs> that mind you, that a good goat curry. Good mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed. That sounds like a brilliant episode of How It Should Have Ended. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, the witch, would you like to live deliciously? She goes, yes. yes. <laughs> and, and chops his head off. Puts him on yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So okay, so yeah. should we talk about a couple of the other? I mean, the the other yeah. two films that I picked out to talk about, about with witches are ones that we've covered in previous episodes, so that we're kind of fairly familiar with them. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Firstly, I wanted to go back to the Love Witch, which is a very very different yeah. representation of witchcraft, mm-hmm. um, and, and arguably a much more kind of contemporary one. Um, uh, so oh, this yeah. is uh, Anna Billa, um, written, directed, edited, you know, conceived, you know, birthed by um, Anna Billa in 2016. <laughs> um, and the thing was interesting about this is that, you know, the character of Elaine, she's not, uh, you know, kind of morally um, righteous, is she? Bless her. Um, <laughs> but she, exactly. no, um, but she does seem to kind of uh, have a sort of kind of an agency of her own. Um, and I think what for me, the way that this provides a slightly more contemporary and, and clearly more anachronistic and less historical um, representation of witchcraft is that um, it, it taps into more the idea of kind of witch's aesthetic. So if you... You know, if anybody feels like the need to kind of sort of see how witchcraft has man- manifested itself in um, social media spaces, um, can I suggest you look at the the tag "witches of Instagram" uh, on Instagram? Uh, I've seen that. Yeah. So <laughs> this is, and, 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 and I'm not, I am not in any way doubting this kind of spiritual practice or identity of any of these very, very lovely, well crafted looking um, uh, females on. Uh, on instagram but you know kind of witch goth bohemian you know it's become mm. this you know kind of aesthetic in Very some ways stylized, yes it? yeah um and they look i mean i'm gonna be honest they look amazing yeah. i'm very jealous of um <laughs> a lot of them um, i know i'm the same as that i had yeah. a flat stomach like that once too but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but um <laughs> uh yeah but it, it does sort of uh the the love which I think sort of speaks to that way in which the aesthetic becomes a a kind of manifestation of female empowerment, mm-hmm. you know, um, particularly in those spaces. Sure. Um, but but the flip side of that is the way in which you know, kind of the images of the kind of enchantress witch, which which um, Elaine clearly is in that film. Um, yeah conforms still to the kind of the idea of the male gaze and the male gaze is not something that doesn't exist in pagan spaces because it fucking does um (laughs) so there are you know kind of um so like you know kind of gerald gardner um kind of as one of the kind of fathers of wicca um i'm not sure if he promoted it himself but it certainly happened is the idea of kind of um to the idea of um performing rituals it's called sky clad that's what it's called in 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 the biz um which essentially is you know performing stuff naked um and you know you can find lots of pictures of rituals happening with you know kind of sky clad sky clad people and they are you know very kind of elaine looking very svelte very pert women (laughs) um 
which you know she did very very much is and there's a whole bit in that film isn't there which is the the have the kind of the priest who seems to be i think dan we talked about him being a bit like simon cowell um oh. you know sort of in charge of all these young right. women <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. That, so there's that kind of thing well, going. Aren't yeah. there multiple scenes in the film yeah. where they're all sitting around naked? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, the, you know, whilst it's clearly not unproblematic in a range of ways, it does that film does offer, um, you know, a slightly different version of witchcraft and kind of witch identity than we normally get in horror generally, where you know, witches are satanic or they're powerful, they're, you know, kind of entirely um, abject or um, aberrant um, kind of creatures. This offers something slightly different. Mm. Um, well, I think the love witch kind of normalises it, doesn't yeah. it? Not in the sense that the, the, the witches are kind of normal in the wider world of the film because the characters in the film <laughs> who are detectives or whatever... yeah obviously aren't part of the paganism community, but when you meet characters in the film who are um, witches, yeah. um, Elaine's friends or whatever, yeah. you know, they just talk and act like normal people. Yeah. They, they, you know, they, they, they go out for drinks and, yeah, they might be naked, <laughs> um, but the, uh, when they do certain things or whatever, but, you know, there's a very down-to-earth yeah. quality to the way it shows it. Yeah. And they're, they're not characterised particularly as as villains no and and it Mm. it is worth saying that 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 what makes elaine an interesting character in that world is that she is doing this extreme stuff you know she is Mm. you know using her magic to you know essentially um well it's not always magic but you know the men die because of her but that we're Mm -hmm. not we don't get the sense of that's what happens in you know that's what witches do it isn't that's just what elaine is doing um, which mm, is, yeah. I think, is a really important distinction. Um, and the other ones I want to talk about with is the two versions of Suspiria, which obviously yeah. the the Argento one kind of frames very much the idea of you know the um, I've forgotten what her name is now the you know the kind of the 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 leader of the academy um, is a witch and oh. you know they're all witches and. Um, but yeah, it's. Do you mean? Um, oh yeah, no, I forgot my name. I'm is. looking back. I'm looking <laughs> back. You mean Helena Marcos? Yes. Or do you mean? Yes, Marco, right. Mother Marcos. So, yes. So, so the kind of head of yeah. the, the yeah. coffin. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't see until the end. No. Yeah. Um, who of course is is uh, Tilda Swinton, isn't she? In the yeah, in the new in the new one. Um, and that's kind of interesting from a witch perspective. And I think I'm not sure does the the, the new one even use that term witch. I'm not sure it does. Or at least if it does, it doesn't use it in as quite as pointed a way. Um, I don't remember it. Unless it, it I mean, it, it could be, we might have Chloe Grace Moretz at the beginning ra- it, raving about it. I think it probably does. Yeah. Because, um, or, or at least, I, I think the Chloe Moretz character, Yeah. you know, when she, when she goes to Joseph at the beginning for help, she does say something like, you know, they're all witches in this school yeah. that I've gone to. Yeah. So, um, or at least it, it does, yeah, it doesn't seem as quite as strongly stated, does it? In, in, yeah. in no, it, yeah, it's not recurrent through the film, and also she's not really an objective character. No, she's mad. So, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so the audience doesn't receive it in the same no. way. Whereas I think in um, in the original Suspiria, it's it's like a slow process of investigation by the two lead 
women. Yes, um, and then we get the, the the knowledge of the idea of witchcraft is legitimized, isn't it, by the um, uh, Udo Kier? Oh, some some male characters. Yeah, the the, up, the, yeah, the, yeah, and, the historians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So that that seems much more kind of. Yeah, clearly stated. But what's interesting with those, both those films is that they were both about, about kind of female communities that are almost exclusively, not less so in the first, in the original, obviously, but more so in the in the 2018 version, um, and more about female community and female power structures. Yeah. Um, but both, I think whilst they might place an emphasis on on the, the, the identity of the women as witches, we don't, with the exception of the ending of the newer version, we don't see ritual in the same way um, as we might expect to see it in other films about witchcraft. Um, and there isn't any reference to Satan or, you know, that, that it has a very distinct mythology that seems more pagan and more shadowy than than it is kind of framed within a kind of Judeo-Christian kind of set of mythology, which is, of course, what the witch does. Right. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the remake of Suspiria is particularly strong in characterising that community. Yeah. Um, I think one of my problems with it was I, I couldn't quite follow some of the um, structures within the coven about you know like how they they all vote. For yeah. Different leaders and things like that, but you know, you you at least do get the sense that um, it's quite a complex relationship within the group, and also the the relationship between the women who run the academy, who are the coven of witches, and the the young women who are the dance students, some of whom become witches, but you know they all kind of associate together. You've got that really nice scene where they all go out for a meal together. Yeah. Um, and and that's kind of juxtaposed with the you know scenes where the the witch women um, uh, they hypnotise and make fun of the two male detectives yes, who yes. are one yeah. one come investigating. So you know you do get a lot of different. You sh- it's kind of clear in the film that these women are able to operate on lots of different modes. Yeah, and interact with each other in complex ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, complex is a good word, I think. And and whilst, you know, that ni- neither version of Suspiria offers a representation of witchcraft that I recognise as being inside the, you know, kind of ex- my own personal experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um nevertheless, I, you know, I'm kind of I'm I'm grateful that they're not being framed within that, you know, the kind of Christian Judeo mythology. Yeah. That it's yeah, it's sure. sort of slightly detached from that, and and also because of the 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 mythology of you know Mother Suspiriorum and you know whatever is that actually those are um, you know kind of icons of faith which seem really old that seem to sort of predate you know kind of a lot of more yeah kind of contemporary theology in some ways. Sure, mm. they feel that way, and I think particularly at the end of the twenty eighteen one. That there's just the very setting of the kind of basement sort of space. It feels much more kind of, you know, archaic and, you yeah. know, kind of primeval almost mm. in that, which, you know, is, is interesting, I think. So, yeah, um, there's loads of things that are fascinating about that movie. And I, I think, by the way, we should just say for people who haven't seen it, um, when um, we mentioned Tilda Swinton earlier, 
playing Helena Marcos at the end. Yeah, she does. She also has other roles in the film. Yes. Um, and in fact, when she plays Madame Marcos, she's encased in a ton of makeup. Uh, and I didn't know it was her <laughs> um, straight away. Um, and I think Tilda Swinton she, yeah. enjoys um, yes. doing things like that. Yeah. Um, she's uh, bloody good at yeah. it as well. She is. She's very good. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Um, so, Kirsty, uh, where do you want to go from here? Have we covered everything well, you want to cover in this week? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of horror, um, that yes, I think we probably have. But I, I, I want to just take a moment just to talk about the fact that the kind of representations of witchcraft um, are more diverse um, and, and perhaps a little bit more, you know, kind of positively ubiquitous outside of horror. Um <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to, rather than to kind of go, oh, this is all terrible, and as a witch, I feel maligned and you know, kind of persecuted by <laughs> by uh, modern media. Um, I wanted to just take the moment to just talk about the way in which you know these characters exist in different spaces. Um, so I just I've got three kind of three categories um, outside of horror to just talk about. So first of all, it's not uncommon now to have uh, witches or witch characters being heroic or being the hero of you know stuff. So just very, very quickly, um, and, and, you know, no particular orders, Kiki's Delivery Service. Yay. Yay. So, <laughs> I love yeah, that. yeah, it's amazing. Um, so a studio, Japanese uh, Studio Ghibli um, anime film um, about a young witch moving to a, uh, a kind of new town and sort of starting out on her own using her magic to help people. Um, I've not seen any of the next one, but my uh, husband made me aware of it. There's a television series in America called Motherland, Fort Salem, um, where basically right. witches um, are used to you know protect uh the u.s um using their witchly gifts um so okay. there's uh deborah hockness's um novel series which is uh also a television series of discovery of witches um but this is much more kind of witches ra- being like you know kind of supernatural beings rather than you know kind of having a particular faith although Harkness does kind of fold in those kind of elements of, you know, kind of actual witchcraft and practice and tradition into her characterization. Um, as we talked about earlier, Elsa from Frozen is, yeah. you know, probably best understood as, as a, a, a witch character. Um, uh, and that's, that's amazing. And particularly, I mean, I want to talk about next week, the way that um, I can hear myself again. Yeah. The echoes back. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'll 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 cancel the call and, and recall okay. you again. Okay. I'll come back to that list. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Really weird. I've not seen um, the new Sabrina. No, I Netflix haven't either. Did. I've not watched it yet. No. I'm back now. Hello. I can't hear myself, so that's good. So <laughs> should we just go straight back in? <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So you just mentioned uh, Frozen. Okay. So I think so. And Frozen. Um, and I want to talk about next week about Frozen Two. Um, there's a slightly different point. Um, there's Sub- oh, the okay. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the 1990s sitcom, but also the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is the you know net- newer Netflix version of the same comics. Um, they are satanic witches, though, aren't yes. they? Or at least well, in the new version. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Um, but she's still but framed as Sabrina herself. Yeah, she's still framed as kind of the hero of that yeah. particular thing. Right. Um, there's also remember Bewitched, 
and Samantha. And oh, I yes, know you course. can't see me because it's a podcast, but I'm now twitching my nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And of course, um, uh, uh, there's Charmed, which was, you know, kind of uh, came out in the wake of Buffy, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but focused on uh, three witches um, protecting the world, staving off apocalypses, apocalypse. There's a new version yeah. of that, isn't there? I think, yeah. Yeah. coming or I don't know I think um, I'm sure it's been trailed on yeah. e- E4 and it's because it's on at 10pm I've said that my daughter can't watch it even though she no, probably she really, really wants it to yeah. she, she loves the witch that one so old, yeah, yeah. Um, but do they still use how soon is now as the theme music that's what I want well, I don't know <laughs> don't know watch we'll this out. space um <laughs> so then i've got a slightly different list which is witches as helpers or mentors so whether they're not the main character not the hero but are helpful to them along the way um so i was reminded recently of dark crystal because we watched the the netflix series um and i'm pleased to say yes, that augra augra is still a really important character in in that um and so again so is she in the film as well yes then? she is because really i haven't important. actually seen the film what Daniel. yeah well the, the well the new series is a prequel to the film it is so but thought, you oh, should you should watch first. you should watch the film um but she is in the film um and she's amazing okay. um and then uh there's uh witcher which obviously exists before henry cavill um and that netflix netflix version but um that has uh one character in particular who defines is defined as a witch um or at least has the characteristics of a witch and trains and all that kind of stuff and has lots of power um and she's quite good so can i just ask yes. um having never seen this program i feel like there's loads of things here that i've just not seen yeah but um so it's called the witcher yeah it's based on a computer game or isn't novels it? Or it that were then game? yeah and i think it was novels that then became computer games which now is a netflix tv series so the witch isn't the main character. No, the, so he's, who a, is he's the witcher. What does that mean? So witcher. a witcher is a. Uh, he's like a like a demon hunter, but he has like supernatural strength, um, and yeah. Um, there, there's more. I'm, I'm not okay. overtly familiar with <laughs> the mythology. Is he you the can probably who tell. Dresses like Ross from Friends. I saw a meme. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's basically Hen- Henry, Henry, yeah, Henry Cavill with with kind of gothed up, but with white hair and white eyes <laughs> and a sword. It, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So he's a witcher, mm-hmm. not a witch. Um, right. But there is a another right. character in 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 the show that has magical powers, learns from you know, kind of being at a school full of other women um, about how to kind of use their supernatural powers. Um, so, but that's, that's done in quite a positive way, I would argue. Um, there's also, of course, Buffy, because Yay. Willow in Buffy becomes a witch. And what's interesting is that she she's lined with Wicca, particularly, so that type of um, witchcraft, which apparently led to a bit of an explosion of, you know, interest in Wicca um, mm. in America, particularly. Um, Good Omens. Have you seen Good Omens? Do we know Good Omens? I've not seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, no. well, you should. But there's, but there's a very, very <laughs> funny treatment of um, both a historical witch um, and then uh, a kind of descendant of hers um, in the kind of contemporary um, timeline. Um, 
So that's one. And then also I was watching with my son, because he's obsessed at the moment the other day, Moana. Um, and I was thinking about uh, Grandma Tala in Moana, who is the kind of, you know, she she defines herself as the village crazy lady. Um, and she has a, you know, kind of connection to the earth and to ancient wisdom. Um, and she's the, you know, kind of person who sends Moana or empowers Moana to go off on her journey. And I'm, I'm very much aware as I'm talking about this that, that neither of you have probably seen Moana. <laughs> no no it's, i've seen some of it but no I haven't. it's amazing yeah. it's amazing it. but uh yeah so i hear it's great yeah. yeah um and then finally i've got just one other um uh, one to mention which is where you have a witch who um is sort of well-intentioned is trying to do use the her power their power for something good so bed knobs uh, bed knobs and broomsticks so the um angela and lansbury character miss price is a sort of you know kind of young witch isn't she um mm. and she's trying to use her her witch witchiness her witchcraft to help with the britain's war effort so right. God, i've not is... seen that since i was a kid <laughs> yeah i was oh, reminded I reminded about it time. kind of researching this so um but, but that made me think of and and like there's a couple of news stories floating around at the moment about witchcraft in and social media but i'm going to ignore that one in order to talk about the there was been quite a lot of um uh kind of online witchcraft kind of people coming together to go hey let's let's use our witchy powers um and do things like hex donald trump and you know and bad people and use it as a sort of an activist way um so yeah so that that i thought was a kind of nice line from miss price trying to help the war (laughs) efforts and um you know uh kind of witches online going let's all do this ritual at the same time um trying to connect to the network of power in order to you know i don't know make his penis fall off probably yeah i mean who knows if it's worked but <laughs> sure it must have exactly done. Yeah. that's why he's been yeah. such an artist. Yeah. so I'm, I'm aware aware of times yeah, would he ever admit it <laughs> no probably not um, no in fact he'd probably you know like try and you know kind of have some sort of prosthetic that he'd have to show us so that we knew that it wasn't the case <laughs> <laughs> Shudder. See it as an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. You can do anything if you've got money. Um, can I throw in a few other examples? Yeah, oh, please do. Please do. As positive witches. So um, there's Serafina Peckel. Oh, yes. Yes, I love Serafina. Yes. We love Serafina. And I mean, she's an example of the supernatural, yeah. which, as, as you mentioned, with like the discovery of witches. Um, and I. I mean, even though they are positive characters in in that universe, I do think it's an interesting dichotomy that you've got with the portrayal of of witches Mm. in the media is that, um, you know, occasionally there are people with beliefs and practices more aligned with kind of real-world witches, but other times they are kind of magical creatures that you would align with things like... Werewolves yeah, or, which is what you know, yeah, whatever. which is what um, Discovery Witches does. Is it kind of goes okay? Well, there are these four races: humans, witches, demons, and vampires. You know, and the, right. everybody's just got, so, yeah, there are different races. Yeah, basically. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, mean, I think this is. I mean, um, the the kind of the uh, sort of other responses I've got to this, I think probably can wait for for next week because they're kind of more general as some you know being somebody who's a witch and in a pagan way um but what i would say is just linking on to to your point really which is the 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 big problem we have 
um, in terms of representations of witchcraft is that there is often very little distinction made between what witchcraft actually is in the real world and the representations that are created in fiction. Um, and they're yeah. created by people with very, very little direct experience of witches, witch culture mm. and paganism. Um, in fact, a lot of those representations are created by people who think that it doesn't exist. There's, they're not, you know, it's not, there's no basis in reality at all. Um, exactly. And so that's one of the fundamental problems in mainstream media with the you know representation of of witch witchcraft in order for us to be taken seriously as you know kind of a, a spiritual identity and a culture and a people and mm. you know traditions is that there needs to be more actual representations of that in a realistic way i mean yeah. don't get me wrong i love i love seeing a fictitious witch do her thing and use her power and or their power i'm going to be gender specific about it um that's great but it's fiction yeah you know and so seeing some more realistic ones you know representations would be good that's what i would like so please somebody make something that's, <laughs> that's fair enough yeah I'll, I'll just throw in a couple of other titles hocus pocus oh yes um, yeah. i've never seen it um but uh, but i've always wanted to and just somehow yeah look around to it um and also this is a weird one but I just thought, what's Mary Poppins if well, yeah. she's not no, a witch? No, she is, absolutely. But because she's not defined yeah. in those terms, though, is she? She's, you know, and that no. is part of the reason why she's allowed to exist as this sort of kind of magical being in the, you know, kind of positive Disney pantheon um, mm. because she's not, you know, defined in those terms. And even when Elsa gets called a witch, it's I think it's the Duke of Wesselton calls her a witch as you know he's sort of condemning her um as she's kind of leaving the castle so you know it's that's not which as in her claiming her you know kind of her witchhood for herself yeah. she's you know it's it's a you know an accusation a condemnation yeah. of her it's stronger as an insult, yeah isn't it? it is yeah um and uh, you do mention elsewhere the craft yes which um you know, it is sort of a horror film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has of. those elements, doesn't um, it? And I love the craft. Um, and <laughs> that's which is due for a remake, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the thing with the craft is that it's the you know again it, it falls into that category of sort of heightening um, kind of you know which abilities and and practices, but um, mm. uh, not. <sighs> You know, I think the, it, it's one of those films that has been taken um, always quite close to the hearts of many people who identify as witches, particularly people my age, because it often, I think it was 96, 97. Yeah. So yes. it kind of comes out of that kind of formative yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, and it promotes the idea of kind of female community and solidarity. Um, but it does make a really good kind of point about the kind of the intentions of the practitioner, the intentions of the witch. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you know, you have the kind of click of you know of of kind of gothy girls and the um, Feruza Balk character who I love Feruza Balk, um, <laughs> you know, who, who is ultimately the one who sort of you know kind of goes down the wrong path, and it's yeah. very clear that it's the wrong path, and we know that. Um, but what's interesting though, as well, and it, 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 it and it feeds into I think an insecurity within a lot of um, certainly kind of witches that I've spoken to is that the Robin Tunney character, who is the she's the lead, and she's 
the kind of ultimately the good witch. I think mm. her representation is that she's um, that it, it, she's a hereditary witch. So yeah. the kind of power is sort of you know it's part of part of her lineage, part of yeah. her heritage. She already has it, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. And I remember yeah. a few years ago talking to um, a kind of an acquaintance who was aware of sort of was into the same thing as I was, but that we talked about that we was we live in fear of what we call the coming of the real witch. <laughs> You know, like somehow our our kind of claim to our identity because we've not we're not from uh, you know come from a hereditary t- tradition or a hereditary oh, line okay. that somehow we're not quite as good enough as those people, um, which we are of course it's our own sort of self doubt, <laughs> um, but the craft sort of feeds into that kind of you know um, idea of the importance of hereditary lineage in in pagan culture. Kirsty, that's absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, uh, are we ready to leave off next yeah, week? Yeah, absolutely. Or... <laughs> okay, so that's that's an amazing grounding in uh, the history of the society and the uh, the cultural representations, and and particularly, of course, the horror representations yeah. of witchcraft and. Thank you so much. That's been a pleasure. And it's really, really engrossing. Yeah. And of course, there's still more to come. Yep. So next week next we'll week. talk about paganism uh, more generally yep. um, away from the idea of the witch, which itself has got um, huge amounts to get yeah. into and, mm. and huge amounts of representation in terms of uh, horror films again, especially with the um, the emergence in just the last few years, really, of folk horror mm. as a genre. Yeah. Um, you know, I think paganism feeds into that yep. a great deal. Yeah. So we'll discuss that, and we'll discuss it with reference to Midsummer um, and uh, the Wicker Man, yeah. which will be really interesting. And uh, but that's where we'll leave it for now. So thank you so much. Cool. Yeah, thank yeah. you. It's been really fab. That's yeah, been great. Um, all right. So we're coming to the end of our uh, episode, even though it's been a bit of a bumper episode this week, <laughs> um, and it's been great fun as such. And uh, if only we had this much time all the time. Mm. Um, But so uh, we normally do our recommendations at the end. Um, I'll go first, if that's okay, because my recommendation is a bit of a cop out. (laughs) um, So it's best just to get it out of the way. Um, On YouTube, there's rather a good channel called Good Bad Flicks. Are are either of you familiar with that? No, no. just a, uh, an American guy who does little kind of documentaries about often quite obscure horror films that he likes and argues why they're good. I mean, for instance, um, an example I'll give is that he does a little film about The Fly 2 and um, really robustly defends it. I pretty much hate that movie, uh, which was <laughs> co-written by Mark uh, Mick Garris. I'm going to say Mark Gatiss then. <laughs> that would be different. Um and just kind of links back to we were talking about Mick Garris last week. Um, but this guy is really, um, his arguments are intelligent and impassioned and, and he gets you to look at movies in a different way. So I'm not saying that he made me want to reconsider my opinion of Fly 2, <laughs> but I certainly found his, his video on it to be very interesting. Anyway, he's just done a video about a film called Galaxy of Terror, which is a horror film that I've never seen, <laughs> but I'd heard of because... I, I know that it's one of the kind of sluts of... Uh, oh, dear. I've just used a word I didn't want to, <laughs> to say. Uh, 
I don't know what word I was going for. But it wasn't that one, though, um, was it? <laughs> that might have been slew. Slew, yeah. I'm going to say slew. that again. And keep, yeah. don't, don't cut um, that out, Dan. Keep it in. <laughs> it was... <laughs> oh, all right, then. Just for you. Um, uh... Yeah, oh, I think what I was doing was co- combining the word slew uh, with gamut. Oh, um, oh anyway, yeah, it's out there um, now. But any- <laughs> so anyway, uh, oh no, no, glut. That's glut. what it was. Yeah. Um, but anyway, in, in the early eighties, after Alien came out and was a success, there's a whole bunch of very low budget, um, pretty terrible Alien ripoffs came out. One of my favourites is called Inseminoid. <laughs> And that title alone gives you an idea of how good some of these films are. Oh yeah. Um, so I'd heard of Galaxy of Terror as being one of those. It was it's a low budget movie from Roger Corman Studios, but what I didn't realise is that um, although he didn't direct it or write it, possibly the most powerful person on the set of it was James Cameron. Oh. And it, and this was before he directed a movie. I think he was employed as an art department person, but somehow because he was just very organised, he rose to kind of control the production um, and and gathered a load of the crew together for it who he would later use on his own movies. So in a way, it becomes a really significant movie in Hollywood history because obviously Cameron went on to direct some of the biggest blockbusters of all time, but also particularly for me, um, loving the Alien movies, you know, basically, if that if Galaxy of Terror had not been made, then Aliens, well, or, or the sequel to Alien would have been very different mm. because Cameron used a lot of the techniques and a lot of the crew that he learned on Galaxy of Terror to put Aliens together. So that video is really interesting. Also, I've discovered that you can actually see the film itself, Galaxy of Terror, on Netflix at the moment. Um, So if you watch, uh, and I I say this advisedly, I haven't seen Galaxy of Terror. I suspect it's not very good. But if you watch the Good Bad Flicks um, video and find it fascinating, then the movie's there if you want to find out what they actually managed to put together. And I think I am going to do that. So... um, it's kind of not really a recommendation fully, but I'm just kind of saying some interesting stuff that's out there for people so inclined. Um, who'd like to go next? Uh, I'll go next. So I've got a couple okay. of things that are uh, creepypasta related. So um, okay. I noticed this week that the Slenderman film has finally landed on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, and if right. anyone's not aware of Slenderman, then they should. Um, go and check out um, all the videos made by Marble Hornets on YouTube. So they sort of progress the uh, Slenderman um, myth forward. So yeah, the Slenderman movie is on Netflix and check out all the Marble Hornet stuff on YouTube. And then related to that, on on Amazon, uh, on Prime Video, so you can also see um, a series that's called Channel Zero that was based on a variety of creepypasta stories, one of which is Candle Cove. Um, and if you fancy um, giving yourself the heebie-jeebies, just Google images Candle Cove teeth 
and you'll see the creature that's made entirely out of teeth and it's utterly terrifying. It makes this terrible clacking sound as it moves. Um, But yeah, so Channel Zero is about uh, a man who returns to the hometown that he left when he was a kid because his brother was murdered. Um, An old memories come to the surface and another child goes missing after mentioning that they've been watching a show called Candle Cove, which is a creepy children's puppet show that he used to watch on TV when he was a kid. Um, So this whole Candle Cove thing came about as a creepypasta story and then somebody on YouTube made Candle Cove and it's all all these weird pirate puppets and it came from a story where I think the original creepypasta was something along the lines of people talking in this forum about this imaginary TV show Candle Cove and then when one of them asked their parents about it they were said well no you just used to stare at the TV when it was just snow like the show didn't exist and that's that's just a little creepy hook on the original creepypasta but it got made into a YouTube sort of um, user generated content and now it's been made into um, a series called Channel Zero that was originally done by the Sci-Fi Channel it's really good the Monster Men Out of Teeth is horrific and it's definitely, definitely, definitely worth a look. And I would also like to add on to this, that in the future of this podcast, I would like us to do an episode on some creepy pastas because that would be great. That would be great. Right. That sounds fun to me. Every few weeks, Stella, you give me a reason to extend my Amazon Prime subscription. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> desperately trying to end it. <laughs> Are you in the employ of Jeff Bezos? <laughs> Not sponsored, but as with Shudder, if you do want to sponsor us, our price will be low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really? true. No, what are you talking about? We'll, we want loads. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. And I'll just add, I've seen Marble Hornets, which is a whole channel on YouTube, yeah, it's great. isn't it? It's really, really um, good. And it's ingenious and very chilling. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a, a better recommendation than mine. Kirsty, what's so your recommendation? My recommendation week? is only because I just spotted it when I was looking for re- recommendations. Is that um, Prevenge, Alice Lowe's film that we talked about in our female? Oh, yeah. yeah, so that's that's currently on um, Amazon Prime, um, and if you haven't seen it, you should because oh. it's, it's amazing and uh, it's a very singular film. Um, it's excellent. Yes, so that that's my recommendation for this week. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Seconded. Like the witch. Um, like the witch. It's a great example of low budget yeah. horror filmmaking. Like the witch. It's got Kate Dickey yes. in it. Unlike the witch, I really love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can heartily second yeah. that recommendation. Definitely. Yes. Wasn't Alice Lowe pregnant oh, at the she time was, as yeah. well? Yeah. She was, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. So particularly Good impressive. Girl. Yeah. For that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Amazing. So. Well, that sounds like a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Yeah, thanks, Kirsty. Thank, thank you. Stella. Thank you both. Uh, this is this has been a fascinating discussion, and I'm looking forward to having the second half of the discussion yeah. next week. Um, so we'll be here this time next week, listeners, and you already know what's coming up, so I don't have to tell you. <laughs> and thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Stella and Kirsty, and see you all again soon. Bye. Bye bye. You have been listening to, and now the podcast starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow, Stella Gaynor, and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music, and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. 
No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com, for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter, at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops. <laughs>